It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to episode 111 of Five and Dive. It's February 12th, and I'm your host, Craig Goldstein. Joining me as my co-host today is Jeffrey Paternostro, lead prospect writer for Baseball Prospectus. Jeffrey, I want to get into our first topic because I'm so excited to, to bring it back. Weights and measures. The topic here is that baseball MLB sent to the teams internally a, a memo saying that uh, the ball would be different, that it would be – they're essentially deadening the ball and that it's going to fly one to two feet further by their estimation uh, based on changes to the core and, the, I guess, the size of the ball. Um, I mean, these are very small changes, but small changes can, can have big impacts, as Rob Arthur has shown uh, time and again. Um, I thought one of the more interesting uh, kind of – things coming out of this was that people were like, oh, well, MLB is like telling people. And it's like, well, this was a leaked internal memo. They weren't going to tell the public. You know what I mean? This right. was not this was not akin to we've mentioned the KBO coming out and saying we're changing the ball for these reasons and this is how we're doing it. Also, uh, we're telling you after most of after the free agents happened. have signed. <laughs> Uh, right, yeah. After free agents have signed, after you've built your teams for the most part, after uh, after we've done it, like there's nothing you can do about it, right? I mean, um, yeah, I don't know your your thoughts on this. Yeah, I'm not convinced they actually know how to do this, so we'll see how it goes. Yeah, they sure claim. I'll, I'll rephrase. They sure claim that they don't know what was wrong with it before, and they couldn't do anything to fix it. So. But now they're fixing it, right? But now and they're fixing the it. The other thing yeah. they're they're saying like it's coming from Rawlings. They own Rawlings, right. or I, like I don't know. One of the owners of San, uh, San Diego Padres has a majority or plurality stake in Rawlings, or something. They have direct connections to Rawlings, right? Um, I mean, it's it's just interesting. Rob Arthur wrote about it. Uh, this story. So there's two there's two stories. One is the memo that was released, and then another is a Sports Illustrated article written by Stephanie Epstein, uh, based on the work from uh, Meredith Will, Doctor Meredith Wills, uh, who took apart the balls from uh, 2020 and noticed that there were two different balls essentially in play. One was was dead, quote unquote, and the other was more of a live ball. Um, and that they were essentially mixed throughout. MLB said that Rawlings had pre- prepared these different debtor balls uh, for 2020, but they asked them not to use them and then tested them instead and did all of this stuff. It, I mean, there are some interesting things here in that, like, MLB is actually testing the baseballs, which it's the the there's kind of an implication or, you know, you can suss out that, Prior to this, who the fuck knows what Rawlings was doing? And MLB was just saying, okay, thanks for these baseballs. We're going to use them now. Um, 
but that Rollins was trying to make the ball more consistent and in so doing changing the specifications and thus the the kind of out outcome that we see in terms of uh, a ball that either flies further or doesn't fly as far. You know what I mean? So I'm a, well, not anymore, but at one time I was a pretty good amateur bowler Mm -hmm. and I would go bowl the USBC nationals every year, wherever it was in the country. And my bowling balls before I bowled had to be weighed and measured and weighed and measured measured measured. for proper side weight, top weight. Like there's a series of very specific specifications bowling balls have to meet in order to be tournament eligible. And like, if I have to go through that just to, bowl mostly i about you bowled okay at nationals but to like <laughs> bowl okay at national i'm not like making any money here i made a little money but i'm not like making a career out of it or anything then uh, why can't major league baseball with far more at stake in this with the goal of comp- competitive integrity literally measure their equipment properly and calibrate their equipment properly at least know what's going on with their equipment even if Uh they don't know how to fix it sure i mean i will say like to i I believe mlb and whatever stake they or some of the owners have in rollings is is a bit more recent um but sure but the problems are more recent too right right that's true i don't know if that happened at the same time i mean look i i will say i think it's i think Philosophically, it's okay for Rawlings or MLB or MLB slash Rawlings, however you want to put it, to say we want a more consistent product between, you know, with all these baseballs. Um, we don't want some that are all over the place, you know, or we don't want some that are, are dead and some that are live and the results being, you know, contingent on which one you happen to be throwing at any given time. Sure. Um, I, I don't think that's an issue. What's weird to me is that, like, they don't. Um, like Rawlings changing their specifications to try and get more consistent should be done in cons- in consultation with the league, whether they're owned by the league or not, um, to you know to see what the end result is and whether that's desirable for the end product, right? Um, I mean, right. That's I, the other issue. Yeah. Like, there's gonna be some unintended consequences or maybe intended consequences for deadening these baseballs. Right. Right. Of course. Like, I don't know what's going to happen to, you know, we already have a home run dependent run scoring environment. If you take that away. Well, this is, I mean, this is something Joe Sheehan has been saying for a while now. And and I think it's a convincing point, which is that like what you're saying, if you take, if you, if you deaden the ball and take that away, you're back to 2014, which Mm -hmm. was miserable uh, as a run environment. It was really low. And I, I don't think that's, really to anyone anyone's benefit i mean maybe some pitchers in arbitration um but like i yeah i i don't know that that's helpful and look i don't i wouldn't say this is my preferred aesthetic for baseball uh you know just homer you know pure three true outcomes and homers decide everything and all of that um but at the same time i don't think that like i i don't think they're deadening the ball with the idea that like hitters are going to change how they they approach it right now um, because honestly, I think defense has played a huge 
like the the improvement of defense and positioning has meant that balls in play uh, are outs more than they used to be. You know what I mean? And so you still want you still want to put the ball out of play, right? And and hit home runs. And now you're just taking some home runs that would be out of play and putting them in play, and you're taking the balls in play and making them essentially easier outs in a lot of uh, in a lot of situations by deadening the ball. Um, one thing from Rob Arthur's piece today that I wanted to touch on was he said um, that the suggestion that there were two types of baseballs in use in 2020 makes sense of some of the findings that he had in regards to measuring drag last season. Uh, he had found that for years the drag coefficient between any pair of baseballs was getting closer and closer, uh, creating a more consistent product, but that reversed last year uh, and all of a sudden they looked as disparate as they had been from week to week and park to park as they'd ever been. Sorry. So this is essentially kind of a, a reverse engineering way of confirming what Meredith will Dr. Wills found and what Epstein wrote about, which was that they essentially were using two different um, samples of ball. You know, they, they sampled. Did they tell the teams that in an internal memo that didn't get leaked? <laughs> uh, I, I don't think that they did. And if you recall, I, you know, this is just from memory, and I, and I didn't look it up, but my recollection is, and especially in the postseason, uh, they said, like, we we took samplings from various batches from the balls we used all year. Like, we're confident mm-hmm. they're not going to be right, – do you remember that? Is yeah. That, yeah. So – I do. This is anecdotal. Yeah. Remember, like, you calibrate your eyes to – contact and what you think the result's going to be from the swing and where the pitch is and what you know about the hitter and even the sound it makes over the tv i mean it's something that's easier to do live and of course i'm doing live when i'm at the park which i haven't been in a long time but (laughs) um it did seem like especially early last season i had like balls that i thought were definitely going to be home runs off the bat just went like 370 Mm -hmm. but then you also got like the bullshit homers too Every once in a while. It didn't seem to be as consistent one way or the other. Again, anecdotal, just some stuff I noticed here and there. But, you know, Dansby Swanson would randomly hit one 420. And then Marcelo Zuna the next inning would absolutely shit all over a Rick Porcello fastball and get it to the warning track. So, Yeah. And... Again, anecdotally, I you know, it just makes me wonder about the 2019 offseason. Or not off season. I'm sorry, postseason. Right. Because that all of a sudden balls were just dying. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I remember that. You know, obviously the Dodgers National Series was um, was was a God. I mean, it was exhausting uh, for a lot of reasons for me. But there were multiple points, and people point to. I think there was a Justin Turner home run that looked like it was gone. I mean, it was. It looked like a shot, and it just died on the warning track. But Anthony Rendon had like three that series that happened both in nationals park and in, in, in LA that again, we had gotten used to seeing off the bat, even on TV. Like we knew after a full season of 2019 baseballs, like what it was. And, and then all of a sudden it felt like the rug had been pulled out from under them. And so like, I'm curious, you know, when this changed happened for Rawlings, like I assume they don't just produce baseballs during like an off season, right? I mean, they're producing them year round. So when do you make that refinement? When do you make that adjustment? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, Craig, Craig, we have breaking news on the podcast. Oh God, what? The Dodgers and A's have made a trade. Sources tell Jeff Passan at ESPN. Uh huh. Are you ready for this? 
Oakland will receive left-hand reliever Adam Kalarik and outfielder Cody Thomas. Los uh-huh. Angeles gets infielder Sheldon Nuezze and right-handed pitcher Gus Farland. Are you excited? Uh, well, I know Sheldon. Uh, I've always said it noisy just because mm. it's the I, I don't know how to say his last name and it's the, the, the best way to pronounce it to me um, from his time in the national system. Mm-hmm. So it's always good when you can acquire a nationals, a former nationals prospect. I feel right. like uh, I, you, I'm you going to miss Adam Kalarik. You know, I thought Adam Kalarik was pretty good, but I think with the three batter minimum thing, it really makes it tough. Uh, on a guy like him who really should only face lefties. He also does seem like he was always destined to be an Oakland Athletic in a way. Yeah, no, he definitely fits uh, fits that, that mold. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. Gus who? Gus Varland. Varland. I don't know him. Uh, I'm, perhaps you do. Um, nope. I'll no. say it right out. I'm looking him up now. So. <laughs> um. He is a 14th round pick out of Concordia University in the 2018 is he, amateur is he a draft. Pitcher? What is it? He's a pitcher. He okay. spent 2019 with the Stockton Ports in the Cal League. Only made five starts. Pitched okay. All right. This is a, this is a um, question for Jen Macramos, probably, who <laughs> would have seen. And Stockton. Cody Thomas is actually kind of interesting, but I think he's already like 25 or 26. Mm. He had a like a full career as a college uh, football player. I believe he was a quarterback, maybe a backup quarterback at University of Oklahoma yeah. or something like that. So uh, top tier athlete, my understanding. They've always kind of liked him as an athlete, but I'm not sure. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think that's a necessarily a huge loss. This is This is spare parts kind of stuff. I will note that... Gus is short for Augustus. Augustus oh, Varland. Right. Yeah. It's a good name. Yeah. Um I would go I will... by Augie. I feel like Augie is a better baseball name than Gus. That's that's Augie Varland would be a really good yeah. name. Yeah, I agree. Um I I'll say that do you think this is any I mean it seems like uh protection, but not really I, I assume this doesn't this isn't like a smoke signal to Justin Turner. Noisy is a third <laughs> baseman. Yes, he is. Um, yeah, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with the no on that. Yeah, I don't know. I've already seen, like, just scrolling through the timeline since you mentioned it, uh, multiple people freaking out about, um, like, this being Max Muncy all over again. I'm going to say uh, I don't think so. He's not. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. If it, God bless him if they do it. If they get another Max Muncy out of Shelton Noisy, <laughs> God bless him. I don't think he's got the raw power that Muncy he's, does. He, oh, he doesn't have the raw power that Muncy does, no. Um, it's, it's fine. It's a short swing. I mean, he's, a, I, I think he's fine. Like he's a, he's a perfectly fine backup big leaguer. Sure. Um, I mean, it's not the third baseman I'd want the Dodgers to trade for from the, from, from the A's. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's fine. All right. Is there anything else you want on weights and measures, Jeffrey? I thought you were asking anything else I want on, uh, on Sheldon noisy. It is pronounced noisy apparently. Oh, excellent. That's according to baseball a, reference. D- dumb luck on that one for me. Yeah. No, we can move on. Uh, topic two, protocol me maybe. We're bringing, the, we're bringing all the good ones back, Jeff. Yeah, the good ones. Um, well, no, we're not bringing back the good rules, but the good titles. Uh, seven inning doubleheaders and runner on second uh, base in extras are back as part of a, an agreed-upon uh, health and safety protocol between the league and the Players Association. Uh, 
what those have to do with health, health and safety in the context of COVID, I'm not entirely sure, but I guess it saves some mileage on arms, which is probably a good thing going from a 60-game season to a 162-game season. Um, I don't mind the seven-inning doubleheaders. I don't like the runner on second at all, possibly because I'm a crank uh, at this point, but I, I absolutely hate it. But that's fine. I mean, it's, you know... It's not necessarily set in stone, although it seems almost certain that these are going to just be around forever now. I thought you were a chirg at this point, not a crank. I'm a chork. At, oh, at that's te- right. Yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. acknowledge You don't that. recognize that? That's fine. Yeah, um, I don't have a problem with the seven inning doubleheaders either. You would hope there won't be as many doubleheaders this year, given... I don't know. There, there might be, but more... There shouldn't be as many. Like, given the vaccine given that they seemingly did get better over the 60-game season at avoiding this stuff. A more normal schedule, too. Yeah. That like it days off and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, I guess the the flip side of this is that they're going to be crisscrossing the country instead of staying yeah. in these, like, uh, East, East, Central, West uh I don't know how much of that difference that really makes. Like, Texas was still going to Seattle and Colorado and... It's true. It's true. I don't know either. It's just, you know, one element. Um, <laughs> the, the other the other topic on Protocol Me, maybe, uh, the Cactus League is selling tickets, really putting putting some teeth behind that thing that was like, please don't start the Cactus League season. Uh, it's not safe here. Also, we're going to sell. We're, we're going to make a few bucks here. Yeah, you know. Uh, outs, outside of the, uh, the doubleheaders and runners on second, I didn't. I didn't read the the protocol in depth, but I, I don't think it was substantially different uh, than last year. One thing I did see Mark Norman didn't note was that there was no mandate for a vaccine. Um, I don't think that's really surprising. I don't I don't think the league probably feels it's in a position to do that. And there might be legal reasons you can't mandate it for what you or they'd get. You know, I don't know if they're allowed to or not, but they'd, it would probably get taken to court. Um, and it jibes with. Reporting Jeff Passan has has uh, said that with people speculated that something around twenty five percent of the the league, uh, the players would uh, opt not to receive a vaccine. So well, that's lower than the nation at large in Poland. So <laughs> great. Uh, our third topic: it's a three way call, and we know nothing. Um, it's always good to to reference Eurotrip whenever you can. Um, there was a three team trade, Jeffrey, involving your New York Mets. The Royals acquired Andrew Benintendi from the Red Sox. Uh, they sent Khalil Lee to the Mets, a uh, center field prospect. And Boston got Franchi Cordero from the Royals. Josh or Franchi Cordero. <laughs> no longer. I, he is now the people's Franchi Cordero. I, used, I, I, I think I've, I, by not changing my opinion on him that much, yeah. uh, I've ended up on the other side of the spectrum. Uh, Josh Winkowski, Winkowski or Winchowski? I don't know. Yeah, I think it's okay. Winkowski, but Winkowski he was acquired by the Mets uh, in the Stephen Matz trade from the Blue Jays and has now been sent to Boston. And three players to be named later, I believe, two from the Royals and one from the Mets. Is that yes. right? So the, what I it's what I call the poo poo platter. Um, mm-hmm. Where do you want to start here? I guess let's start with the Red Sox. Okay. I like it's hard to say without knowing who the player to be named. Players to be named later are, but it's hard to see them given the general 
range you find players to be named later in yep. just to be like a great deal for them. I also don't know what Benintendi's value is more widely, but he's also a non-tender candidate for them. So getting even a broad range of Roll40 types might be an improvement. It's not an improvement because maybe Benintendi bounces back and is good. He was at one point a top five prospect in baseball and had a all-star level season just a couple of years ago. I don't exactly get trading him now at his value as Nadir. I don't get trading him for what for the worst prospect of the two prospects in the deal at present. Yeah. So I don't get I don't know how this helps their prospect pipeline, which as we know, Craig, is the most important thing to fielding a competitive team. Yeah, that was a quote from uh Heim Bloom. Uh yeah, I so I think there is this to be said about Ben Tenney. I this is his his you know, the nadir of his value. I don't think it's necessarily the bottom, though. Um it's his nadir from what he's established so far. But if he came out and was 2020's Andrew Benintendi for the first half of the season, like I don't think you're getting even this deal um, in all likelihood. So I, I think there's there's lower to go. Uh, they were paying him $6.6 million. That's not onerous for the Boston Red Sox. Like th- This is the part... I guess the, the, the thing I don't fully understand from, from this perspective is... Uh, and, and someone said this to me, like... It's that they're the Red Sox. Like this is a very raise move in a lot of ways, which which makes sense given where Bloom came from. It's a very raise outfield right now too with Renfro, Cordero, and Verdugo. Yeah, and and that's not to say it's necessarily bad. Like you said, like what Benintendi's value is is uh, a little bit nebulous, especially with the money he's making, which I don't think is onerous, but he also hasn't been particularly good. So. You're you're in kind of a, a no man's land there, and so I don't think on a pure value level this is necessarily bad. And again, we don't know who the three uh, players are, and and I don't know that we can throw this into the normal player to be named later situation because last season was so weird. There might be some better guy, you know what I mean? Like they they might be uh, just wanting to see some better quality guys on the field a little bit more. I don't, I don't know. Um, but like, I don't think Franchi Cordero's good at all. Um, I think he's fun, but this is, you know, he's got like a 35% strikeout rate. He can never stay healthy. Um, it seems like someone that they want to see stay healthy for like 45 to 60 games and then try and flip. Um, but the thing to me is that like you're the Red Sox, six point six million isn't that much money. Why not just see if Andrew Benintendi can be good for sixty games? Right. Uh, and if he can, like you're you're probably going to be able to move him uh, for 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 more than than this at least, and arguably sig- significantly more, um, because because of his backstory, because of his pedigree, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so like I. I understand why a team with a lower payroll uh, would make a deal like this. I don't as much understand why the Red Sox would make this deal, especially since they're at this point they're below they're below the luxury tax. Uh-huh. Like it's not like the savings you're saving by bringing in. So 
by bringing in Cordero, who's on the major league roster, and swapping up Benintendi, you're saving five point or six point one million dollars, something like that. Five five point eight to six point one million dollars. They also just range. did sign Marwin Gonzalez, which wipes some of that out too. Right. They spent three million on Marwin Gonzalez. Right. Yeah. I. Yeah. I. I don't know. That doesn't that doesn't really make sense to me. I mean, Marwin Gonzalez is fine for three million dollars, to yeah. be clear. But like, I don't know. It. It. I would rather gamble on Benintendi for three point one than instead of Marlin uh, Marwin and uh, and Franchi for you know whatever that price is. Um, and, and you know, as you pointed out, between the prospects, Khalil Lee and uh, Winkowski, one thing I did see noted was Winkowski's not on the forty. Um, the Red Sox 40 man is pretty full. I believe it, I believe that it is completely full. So there is the, the cost of designating someone for assignment. I would also argue that like the Red Sox are not so stacked at the 40 man level that like that should be considered a significant cost. Um, but let's, let's go to the Mets and mm-hmm. getting Khalil Lee. Uh, do you want to, to opine on Khalil Lee in general? I think it's, a Useful move by the Mets on a number of levels. Again, we don't know who the player to be named later is yet. I suspect when revealed, it's not going to flip the overall prospect value here. I'll put it that way. I don't think it's going to make up the gap between Winkowski and Lee as prospects in the present. But even if it's close, Lee offers something their system needs badly, which is upper level outfield depth with upside. Yep. They really don't have anyone above boy if boy, only yeah, the, I, mets, I just, if I only the that... mets had an outfielder with upside in the upper levels yeah it would be nice uh p crow armstrong is the best outfield project uh, prospect and hasn't played a major league game yet their second best one is probably or sorry a professional game yet their second best one is alexander ramirez who hasn't played a professional <laughs> game yet um would, would where would uh where would Green, who they traded to Toronto, have been? Well, who hasn't played a professional? He hasn't played a professional yet. game yet, Craig. I know. Uh, <laughs> I prefer Lee to Green. Okay. Uh, Green, I guess, is a better shot to stick in center. Although Lee is a seventy-grade runner, his roots never really improved. But that's something that if something clicks there, you can just. Yeah, and he's faster than Brandon Nemo, whose roots have not really improved either. So. Uh, if he does put it together with the bat, I suspect he'll start at AAA this year. The reports from the Royals alternate site were good. Uh, they've changed his swing fairly significantly. He's a lot wider now and trying to uppercut the ball. I don't know if he ever makes enough contact to really get the raw power into games consistently, but overall he's a good knowledge of the strike zone. He's fast. He can play all four outfield posi- or three outfield positions, so he's a fourth outfielder if nothing else. Mm-hmm. which is also something they need. Mm-hmm. And he could be relevant to the major league team as soon as this year. So I think, you know, flipping Josh Winkowski, who's probably a reliever in the medium term and is probably at least another year away is, you know, what we would say in soccer circles, a nice little bit of business <laughs> sure. for the overall organization. Yeah. I don't know why they were just allowed to kind of hop in here and do this, but hey, <laughs> this guy kind of feels the same way about the Lucchesi move. So, yeah. Um, and now the Royals getting Benintendi. 
does this I mean I I honestly like I appreciate that the Royals are out here doing things like signing Carlos Santana to a reasonable deal makes their team better uh that they're out here acquiring uh Andrew Benintendi for reasons I'm not completely sure of uh but they're not like they're not going to compete well they're not but they've at least put themselves in a situation where if a bunch of stuff breaks right for them they can win a second wild card or something yeah, I guess the other part is like maybe do, does like Dayton Moore know there are going to be eight like seven seven playoff spots? I don't think it matters. No, they have built a very good farm system without. I mean, they got the Bobby Wet pick. Yep. But for the most part, most of these picks have been yeah like middle of the first round picks. Well, yeah. What was wasn't Singer top ten? He was like eight or nine, I think. Okay. He might actually. He might have even been later than that, but. They're not like hard tanking to get the first overall pick. No, they, they perfectly... don't hard tank. I mean, I you can I build a perfectly good farm system that way. That. By the way, Singer was 18th. So yeah, I, I thought he was later. Yeah, um, you, so you were right, mid mid and later for first round for the most part. But like, uh, yeah, Singer was the 18th. Chris Bubich was 40th overall, and like, look. I, are they going to be great? I don't know. They looked all right last year. They were both pushed pretty hard to the majors, which is another thing they do. And, like, I appreciate yep. that. Yep. If you think these guys are ready to get major league hitters out, have them go and do it. Yeah, I mean, we're probably going to see Jackson Coar, who is 33rd. see Daniel Lynch probably, too. Uh, yeah, Daniel Lynch probably, too. Uh, and he was, he was, what, a fourth rounder, right? Third or fourth, yeah. Uh, they did get... Asa Lacey fourth yep. overall. Uh, that's a, along with Wit. Those are the the two high ones. Um, he could move pretty quick. I mean, he's yeah. he's approaching twenty two. Um, but like this is a, was watchable... an excellent college starter. Look, this is so. not a good team. But it's an interesting go... team. I'll watch this team. I said this on an upcoming five and dive. If you go to Kauffman Stadium on any given night, I mean, this, I don't know this if you're going to be able to. But like, it's going to be perfectly fine. They could win eighty games. It's like Danny yeah. Duffy, Brad Keller, Mike Miner, Brady Singer, Chris Bubich. Like those are all dudes that are going to put up like a four point one ERA probably. My Miner, some of them might I mean, be better. Than I don't that. know what to think of Miner. He might be cooked. I, you know, oh, look, sure. Pakoda has him at seventy one wins. Uh, that's before Benintendi. Mm. Um, I don't know that Benintendi moves the needle that much. But like again, like if good Andrew Benintendi shows, he was a five win player two years ago. Like every um, outside of Michael Taylor, which Michael Taylor, Michael Taylor, and like Nikki Lopez, who maybe sells a little bit of upside. Everybody sure. else in this lineup had like a 750 OPS or better last year, and there's like yeah. some legitimately good hit. Like Jorge Soler can probably hit. Carlos Santana can probably still hit. I don't know Mondesi, if Salvador Perez if, is going to hit. If the good Mondesi shows up, it's like a seven, potential like seven win player. Yeah, Whit Merrifield's a six. Like, yep, Whit Merrifield, it, probably the best hitter in the whole lineup. Um, they picked up Hanser Alberto, who probably should be starting for the Orioles, like, and he's going to be on their bench. Yeah, that's good depth. They have good a depth. decent bullpen. Like, they're not going to be brutal to watch. And I appreciate that when so many other teams are trying to be brutal to watch and haven't used it to build an appreciably better farm system than the Royals. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I like what they're doing. I just don't, you know, maybe this is for next year, too. And, like, yeah. they're going to have Benintendi for next year. As well, uh, you know, he he went to, to college in Arkansas. Maybe they're hoping, you know, 
coming back to the south is uh, useful for him. I don't know. Right. And, you um, know, maybe if if Wit's ready and they've made noise and he might be ready at some point in this year. But even for 2022, you play Bobby Wood at third, you move Dozier to back to left, Ben Intendi to center, and you got, that's, you know, it's not a bad lineup. Yeah, it's potentially a rough defense. I, yeah, I'm not exactly outfield. convinced the Twins and White Sox are going to continue to make moves to, like, run away with the AL Central. Now you're putting yourself where a lot of things have to break right. You have to get immediate good performance from your prospect pipeline, but you're putting yourself in the, if a bunch of things break right, we can make the playoffs, yeah. which, you know, isn't, it's preferable, I think, to hard tanking because, you know, just as easily they could win 71 games. We got a top five pick too. Yeah. I so also, you can, you can play both ends. Yeah. And, and again, like they got what Franchi Cordero came in the Rosenthal deal, right? With Edward Oliveris. Is that about right? To, sound right to you? Yes. Um, you know, so they flip him and, I mean, look, would, you'd probably put Lee ahead of Oliveris, right? Almost definitely. Yes. But the, in terms of potential outcomes, it's not necessarily that far apart. Between Lee and, and Edward Oliveris? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Lee, has, Lee certainly has more upside. But... Way more. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, but it's also like the, the, there's risk there. There's tons of risk right. with Oliveris too, but like you could argue like they, they, you know, they, they keep Oliveris who's probably going to be their fourth outfielder this year can, can spot at all three, three positions. Um, and like, like you said before, Lee may never make enough contact. Uh, and they spin Cordero right off to get, I mean, to me, like that's, that is a win overall, if you're looking at all of those deals in context, like that's that's not a bad situation to end up with Benintendi then, um, and to not worry so much about his years of control or or that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, it's 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 kind of an interesting. De- I you know I said at one point jokingly that it's like trading like an un, like a a baked unseasoned potato for a bunch of pieces of white bread and also Khalil Lee is involved, like because Benintendi just hasn't been good and like these like. I, I don't know. It's it's kind of like a whole lot of nothing, but there is a fair amount of of. I don't know. I, I maybe it's just I don't. I find the Royals interesting because I don't fully understand them. But uh, anything else in that deal or or those teams that you'd like to touch on? I can't believe we spent that long on <laughs> that trade, but here we are. Fair enough. Uh, let's take a quick break, gather ourselves from spending so much time on that trade, and come back with our last two segments. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're back with episode 111 of Five and Dive. Our fourth topic, 
because we're a Mets podcast now. Well, and there's not that much going on in baseball this week. Uh, the Mets are interested in Chris Bryant. We've also heard, you know, Justin Turner. It seems like they're not thrilled with J.D. Davis, uh, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm. he's fine. This is like how Jeff, if I may quote a tweet, how did J.D. Davis go from, quote, <laughs> one of the best young hitters in baseball to, quote, someone we have to replace? So the answer to that it's is neither of those things. To be he's clear. been a five the entire time. And if you're a good team, you're always looking to upgrade on fives. Like, yeah, yeah. I, look, J.D. Davis he literally has to be one trying... of the best young hitters in baseball in order to be playable defensively anywhere other than first base. And the Mets have two better first basemen anyway. Right. Look, look, I want to be clear. Like, I'm not trying to take shots at J.D. Davis, but he he's was fine. never one of the best young hitters. In no. He's 28. <laughs> he's 28. He's, like, older uh, than Michael Conforto. He a, I, he's a stat cast superstar. It's right. fine. Like, that's fine. He was yeah. a good hitter in 2019. He, I he think slugged he under 400 in 2020. I think he was a little unlucky in, mm-hmm. in 2020. Like, I think he's a great you bat say that, to have but in the if system. You look at the profile. Yeah, I mean, ideally, he's your 350 to 400 plate appearance first bat off the bench. Totally, totally. It's a very left-handed leading lineup. He can he can play yeah, four, four corner runners. outfield in third yeah, base. Yeah, just, <laughs> no, but that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. Um, you know, he's yeah, worked himself into the point where he's probably, like, only a minus 10 third baseman now, so you could even <laughs> roll him out there. I mean, yeah, he was... Yeah. You, He's far better than him in left field. He's a guy and he's not, but he is. He was a first baseman in college in the minors. Yeah. For a reason. But he's not Justin Turner and he's not Chris Bryant, and it's fine to want to go get those guys at his expense. Right. I think there's this idea that, and this is something I've had to recalibrate myself too, I think, as we enter this sort of bifurcated era of super teams and tanking teams. On the like the Mets keep talking about wanting to be the Dodgers East. You know, JD Davis would be the eleventh position player on the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. You know, he'd be closer to Max Beatty than Mac or sorry, Matt Beatty than Max Muncy. Okay. You're right. You know, Edwin Rios type actually is probably the better comp. Edwin there. Rios is I mean, he can probably play outfield better than Rios. Just he's not <laughs> Rios is Rios is really big. I don't know. Um But okay, yeah, I think Rios is a fair Right, but the idea is if you want to compete with these teams, you have to relegate these players to... And, like, look, if he has to start for two months because someone gets hurt, that's fine. Like, if Mm -hmm. Edwin Rios has to start four days a week for you for a month, you're okay with that. Yeah, you're going to realize why he wasn't starting. Right, sure, I but would he's not, it's but not going to be a disaster. Fine, like, it's not going to be a replacement guy, level totally, or worse. Right. right, This is it's depth. Like, this is real depth, having these guys around. Yes. You know, having J.D. Davis and signing Jonathan Villar, who we'll get to in a second, too, which is thing they did this week. It's just, yeah, I guess, you know, Davis, I think, in sort of the Mets sphere, both media and fans, got outsized attention. Because, like, look, it was the one nice move that Brody Van Wagenen made mm-hmm. <laughs> during his entire tenure. And it's always nice when you, like, pick up this guy in a small trade and he turns into a better player than you expected. But I think you just have to, and you know, on what weren't particularly good teams either. Right. I think you just have to sort of keep in mind the limitations that have always been there. And yeah, I don't think he's going to slug 390 again, but it's like average bat speed. It's a little grooved. He has trouble with premium velocity. I think there's going to be platoon split issues. And like, that doesn't mean he's not a very useful major league player. It doesn't mean he can't start for you 
at third base for most of the year and that you can't be a playoff team with him as your sixth or seventh best position player. You might even be lower than that. That's fine. It's just not ideal. And you shouldn't be saying, well, we can't trade for Chris Bryant because we have J.D. Davis. (laughs) Right. Right. He shouldn't be the reason you don't do a a, a bigger move. You you trade. uh, Look, he might be. Maybe his defense isn't as bad with Lindor next to him. I mean, and he might be in the hypothetical Bryant deal, but also you can just move to the bench for a year and then reevaluate next year if you want to let Brian walk in free agency. So it's not, you don't have to be married to a medium term role for these guys one way or the other. Yeah, I, I think that's right. In terms of a Brian, I mean, do you, I, I saw it floated around. Like, yeah, do you think I don't. Anything there. And, and, and do you, you know, what do you think it costs? Uh, JP Morosi talked to real live human sources, Craig, that okay. said it's not happening. I don't know if that actually oh, okay. like, uh, or I shouldn't say it's not happening. There isn't momentum, I guess, was the okay. phrasing he used, which is one of those weird hot stove phrases that can mean whatever you want it to mean. I don't know how to value him. Obviously, the, I don't know if this is a Cubs side leak or a Mets side leak, but they were indicating that they had asked for Francisco Alvarez, who's a Mets top catching prospect and a one-on-one guy for us for Chris Bryant. Mm-hmm. I got a little snarky on Twitter about Mets fans not wanting to trade Francisco Alvarez. And look, I, I'm not going to trade him for a straight rental, probably. Right. I was going to say Bryant one case. year. I think that's tough to get your to get your head around. But you should absolutely be willing to trade your 18-year-old catcher that hasn't played full season ball in almost any circumstance where you're getting a good major leaguer back in some sort of deal that's not a rental. Like if he's right. if it's if it's Bryant and Davies or Bryant and Hendricks or Suarez and Gray or Matt Chapman who they apparently have had conversations with I assume that conversation went Are you willing to trade Matt Chapman and Billy Bean's <laughs> response was not for anything in your system. <laughs> but yeah, you trade Alvarez for you Matt. trade Alvarez really yeah yeah. Um, your Mets also signed Jonathan VR. Yeah, I think this is a sneaky good signing. I like it. I've always liked VR. Uh, he was bad in... He was bad. 2020. Yeah. But we looked into it, Craig, before we started recording. Oh, did we? Did we, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, his numbers were down. And 2020 was a weird season in general. But if you take away his at-bats against the Mets... It's always good when you make a case with starting if you take away... It was a quarter of his at-bats this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He jumps to 254, 321, 307, which isn't good, but looks a little sunnier than his line overall. In games started by Jacob deGrom, and there were five of them, four when he was with the Marlins, one when he was the Blue Jays, he went one for 15 with 10 Ks. You know who he doesn't have to face anymore, Craig? Jacob deGrom. He doesn't face Jacob deGrom. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's not a small thing, is to yeah. not have to face... It's like 8% of his at-bats last year were against Jacob deGrom. How much does that suck? Yeah. Yeah. Uh... I mean, I guess now he has to face. Well, I guess he didn't. He was in the, he I was, was going to say Sixto e, Sanchez, but like yeah. he might have been traded by the time Sixto was was up. Yeah. Um, yeah. I. I. I don't. I mean, look, the Marlins have good pitchers too, but they're not nobody. Literally, I think Jacob Degrom's <laughs> the best pitcher in baseball, so yeah, yeah. nobody is Jacob Degrom. Um, yeah. I mean, that's tough. He was. He was even worse after the trade. Yes. Uh, to Toronto, where he was facing other other pitchers. He was 188, 278. <laughs> but also Jacob DeGrom once. <laughs> right, right. Once. But still, yeah, yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. Um, that, that said, like, as you said, 
last year was a weird year. I'm generally inclined to just throw out uh, I mean, 2020 not, for most most guys. They're not trading for him to be a starter. They're trading for him to be the, what you would want the J.D. Davis role to be. He can play a bunch of positions. Right. He can play. Okay. And he can, you can throw him in center field. You can um, throw him in center it's field. It's not ideal. He's a but switch like, hitter with fine. no real platoon split. Right. He's, yeah, I mean, he's kind of a version of, of Kike Hernandez yep. without the platoon split. Mm-hmm. Um, not as yeah, much not as leverage- you know, He's, he's not as leverageable, he's a- not as good a defender, but yeah. Right, and and he it's a totally different player, but in terms of, like, you can slot him in center, left, uh, second, short, third, right? You know, like, that, that those positions, like, you can play him all over, and it's not, it's not really going to hurt you. It's also, I mean, it's nice speed off the bench. Um, and we've got the, the runner on second rule, you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I, I like that signing a lot. Um, he's a 95, uh, OPS plus for his career. That's great. You know, that's fine. And that includes last year's awful 64 on average. So yeah, it's like a a non-zero. We know he can spike the way he did in 2019. So 2019 and 2016 yeah. when he was like a, a five win player. Um, yeah, I mean those those things are are there in his history, and he's also like he's 30. He's not. Yep. He's not one of the best young hitters in baseball, but he's not old. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I guess I would say this: what they signed him for? What? What did you say? Three million? It's like one and three and a half with some escalators, I think. If I'm choosing between him and Marwin Gonzalez, yeah, for three million, I'm taking VR every time. Um, so I thought, I think this goes to, not to, not to belabor this topic, but I, I think we've brought it up a couple times, but the Mets upper level depth is night and day compared to prior years. Yes. Um, and it goes, I mean, that goes to Khalil Lee, right? That goes to the Sam McWilliams, uh, McWilliams signing. It goes to acquiring Jordan Yamamoto, uh, it's Foley a lot of it has NC Diaz. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it has been on the pitching side. As I mean, they need, needed a lot of pitching as it depth, needed so. to be, and there are still some holes in the you know, like you mentioned, Khalil Lee. Um, you know, the the outfield and some of the upper minors positional stuff probably All of the does upper minors positional stuff. Okay, still needs to be addressed, but they also are kind of papering over that and giving buying themselves time to address it by doing all this stuff at the back end of the major league roster. Yeah. Um, and it really is, they're the playing kind of the game that, you that the big, the big boys the, play. Right yeah. Now. These are the kind of things you can solve in the short term, at least with money. The lack of upper minors position player depth isn't as big a deal. If you're willing to give Jose Martinez a $250,000 split, if you need to option him. Right. Right. If you're willing right. to pay Jonathan VR more money, even if you don't intend on giving him a starting role, you know, pay him enough to take a 300 plate appearance bench job. These are things they haven't been willing to do in the past. You know, the joke on the Wilpons was every like one and three million dollar contract to a veteran like this came with a playing time guarantee. Right. You know, whether it was Alejandro Deaza or Chris Young, the hitter, or probably Jake Marisnik, Brian Dozier last year, um, Justin Ruggiano, I think was in there at some point. Yeah. Austin uh, Jackson. Yeah, and when I say like they're playing the game that the that the big boys play, I mean this is the, if if you go back to so we've talked about like Boston has often people keep describing it as the Dodgers playbook, and it's very mm-hmm. clearly the Rays playbook, and and it's some of it's the same thing, right? It's all depth, right. but 
But what the Mets are doing are is very similar to what the Dodgers did when they when when Friedman came in and took over with a big budget, and they they reshaped the upper the forty man roster, the upper minors depth, option ability, you know, all this kind of stuff came into play. And that, to me, is much more similar to what the Mets are doing. It's what the Yankees do. It's what you need to do to survive and and thrive in a full-season environment at this point. You know what I mean? And yep. so it it's, you know, it's, it's always going to be, you know, I, I think it's going to take a fair amount of time for, like, the, the lull Mets to, to die out. But, like, this offseason has not helped in a lot of ways with that. It has not. Um, but at the same time, the, the on-field moves are, uh, are really good, even if they're not all acquiring Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco, right? Like that's the flash. That's the stuff people are, that's going to get headlines, but all of the, all of these type of moves put together, uh, show, show a vision mm. and an, and a, and an ability to execute that vision. And Pakoda thinks they're going to win the division by ten games. So. Yeah. Well. All right. But your but Pakoda projection sh- system, Craig. It shows it shows that vision and an ability to execute on it in a way that hasn't been present for a long time. Yes. Twenty. Um, <laughs> or sorry, eighteen years probably about eighteen years I think. Yeah. Uh, okay. Our last topic here. We are now going to the northeast southwest side. Uh, that's some Moby. For, so we've got Euro Trip and Moby. Um, I just want to point out because you did not I didn't recognize know. I didn't, this. I didn't you did not get the it. reference, even though that was a big hit song. So I put it to a Twitter poll to confirm that it was a hit song, and by nearly a uh, by over a sixty to forty percent margin, Twitter I agrees never, with me. I never said it wasn't a hit. Southside song. by I Moby didn't. featuring Gwen Stefani is a hit, Craig. I'm. So, I I never said it wasn't a hit. I might have memory hold anything to do with Moby. Uh, so I, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, the topic here, which is not necessarily, uh, actually not necessarily, it's definitely not something someone could divine uh, without, without knowing uh, a lot more details, is that the minor leagues are finally, uh, well, I, I don't know, set, constituted. Uh, 120 teams have signed their player development licenses or whatever the hell they're calling them at this point they're still calling Um, pdls i think okay so they've they've signed those uh and have been assigned to various uh leagues and divisions within those leagues throughout the minor uh throughout the country um i the names are i will I, i will say that they are placeholders but they've done away with uh, the Pacific Coast League, the International League, all of this, because all of that harkened back to a time when those things were independent leagues and had affiliations. Uh, I guess there technically are still affiliations, but these are all just uh, now subsidiaries and lower levels of uh, of the major leagues. Because I mean, it's going to leagues... be the Eastern League presented by United Healthcare or something like oh, that. It's, I don't think it's going to be the Eastern. I think it's <laughs> going to be the United Healthcare League. Yeah. Is what I think it's going to be. But for now, uh, my personal favorite, Jeff, I think I think the best one is Double A Northeast, which you are uh That would be my home territory. That yeah. would be your home territory with the Hartford Yard Goats. Uh they will have divisions of Northeast and Southwest, which yep. means you will get your double A Northeast Northeast division and mm. your double A Northeast Southwest division. Yeah. It really rolls right off the tongue. 
my favorite part is they still have the five team high A Northeast division. Mm hmm. Which isn't going to actually work. The high A North. So they have high A Central, high A East. Sorry, the oh, high yeah. A, the high A East Northeast, I think it is. High A East North. High A East I don't North. know how okay. you could get that. It would just be the high A Northeast, you think? <laughs> you, you might think. Uh, yeah, that's in what a one. Yeah, so it's a seven and five split yeah. between the North Division and South Division. That should be the Google Maps League, probably. <laughs> you're gonna need to get from Hudson yeah, Valley to Asheville. I was gonna say I thought these are supposed to be better travel leagues. I mean, I would love a trip to Rome Asheville. Asheville is great, but yeah, yeah, Rome and Hickory all the way to uh, and Greensboro. I guess Greensboro's even all the way to uh, Hudson Valley in the north. That's tough. That's going to be real fun for for those guys. Uh, I assume that they're mostly just going to play within their divisions. I would assume so. Yeah. Um, was there anything else that stood out to you? On the, I mean, the, the, again, JJ Cooper has basically said like this is naming a like. You know, if it wasn't City Field, it, or is like Nationals Park. Nationals yeah. Park doesn't have a have a brand um, right now, I don't think. So they've just called it Nationals Park while they wait for someone to pony up money to mm -hmm. to name the stadium. Um, but man, they they could have done it perhaps less confusingly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just call like... it one, two, and three for God's sakes <sighs> with the divisional geographic. I guess sport. the other thing that's interesting they have a twenty team AAA East division right now mm-hmm mm-hmm they do yeah so i don't know how that's gonna work i don't know how any i mean i know how this is going to work it's just gonna it's gonna be what it is right yeah i mean it doesn't really it doesn't really matter i uh yeah and i guess officially what there were three three independently teams that are now part of the miners, right? Sugarland, St. Paul, and Somerset, yeah. I yeah. guess the other point I'd like to make here is I don't know what's actually in the PDLs. I suspect it's a less good situation than a lot of these groups had before. They had a lot of leverage here. Mm-hmm. As the owner, you know, the various ownership groups. I know it's not 120 owners specifically some of them own multiple teams yeah like the idea that they could have collectively stood up to mlb to get better terms i think is something that could happen like there just aren't enough other places to play even with all the teams they eliminated throughout this entire process but i don't think there's ever really any interest in doing that either which is unfortunate and that's kind of how they got in this situation in the first place yeah i mean i think there's the interest factor and in that you know, let's say it's it's a hundred people instead of yeah. you know a hundred owners for a hundred twenty teams. Getting them something. all to agree on, getting them all anything. to agree, and then you run into the problem that a bunch of these teams are owned by major league teams, yeah, and major true. league owners, and so like you know, you're never going to get them on board. Um, yeah, I just I I I think that's that's the tough part. Um, that it's just like and and they come from such different. You know, a lot of these, the difference between the teams are, you know, we think the difference between the Dodgers or Yankees and the Pirates is big. Like, the difference between some of these guys um, 
at the top level of, or, you know, top facilities, top whatever of, of the minors and these other ones that are at the very, you know, barely, barely got their PDL or whatever uh, is, is extremely substantial, you know, and I think getting them to come and represent each other is going to be very difficult. Do I think it would be worth it? Yeah, absolutely. But where the league tends to be like a monolith um, in in these types of things, uh, I, I just think that makes it really hard. Uh, but you're right. I mean, there, the opportunity was certainly there. Uh, anything else you'd like to discuss before we head out? I think we're good to go. All right. Well, Jeff, I appreciate you co-hosting with me. I appreciate our listeners tuning in to another episode of Five and Dive brought to you by the Baseball Prospectus Podcast Network and our Patreon supporters. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash five and dive. And you can email the show at five and dive at baseballprospectus.com. We are on Spotify, iTunes, Stitchers, wherever you get your podcasts, search for Baseball Prospectus Podcast Network, and we'll be in that feed. If you'd like to give us a rating and review, we'd appreciate it. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.